Bible to 1 Peter. We're going to talk about hope this morning. We're going to talk about a, a living hope uh, this morning. On the screen is a picture of a man named uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was uh, of German descent back when Hitler was wreaking havoc in the world and Mr. Bonhoeffer was a Christian in the middle of Germany at that time. He was arrested for crimes against the government. Imagine that. And he was preaching the gospel to uh, the people and trying to help all of those who were in distress under the rule of Hitler. And he was put into a prison camp. And he was preaching and teaching in the camp to the prisoners that were with him while he was there. And an Englishman who was also a prisoner with him wrote about Mr. Bonhoeffer and said that he was amazed at the faith of this man. He said, this was the first person that I truly saw God living in the life of a man. And he would teach us, he would encourage us, he was always positive in the camp. And Mr. Bonhoeffer was sentenced to die uh, by execution under the rule of Hitler because of the crimes against the government. And on the day that he was to be executed, it just happened to be a Sunday. Uh, he got up as normal, Mr. Bonhoeffer, and he would stand before the prisoners and bring the gospel message to them and preach uh, the Lord Jesus Christ to these men. When he had finished that day, he... Uh, sat down and the doors of the prison block opened and two men came in and said, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, come with us. And everybody knew what that meant for him. It meant the gallows. The next day they hauled him to another city there in Germany and they hung him to death. And on the way out of the prison uh, to, with those two guards, he stopped and spoke to this Englishman. And he said some things to him, and then he said this. This is the end, but for me, it is the beginning of life. You know, what can possess a person to say that in the realm of death? His death was awaiting him, but yet he had the courage to stand and say those words that to, for him it was the beginning of life. You know, this morning, I hope that we discover that hope that Mr. Bonhoeffer had. I hope we discover what it was that he possessed that kept him going. This living hope that we will find today. A living hope from a living Savior. We live in a rapidly changing world. And yet we too can have that kind of hope. That God would see us through. That God would carry us on into the next life. Even in our suffering, we can endure. He suffered from political unrest. You might be suffering from that. I believe we all are suffering from political unrest in our country today. In the oil field that we live in, because of who's in charge of our government now, we suffer behind that government, even here in the oil field, because of that. Holding it back, keeping it down. We might suffer financially. You might be here today and be suffering from a health concern. You might be here by yourself today and you're suffering from being alone and you're suffering from loneliness in your life. This living hope that we're going to learn together today can hold all of that together. I believe the person that wrote this, First Peter, was unlike any other apostle. 
of the twelve. I believe that the death of his Lord Jesus affected Peter more than any other person in this world. I believe that he boasted of his confidence in Christ, of his faithfulness to Christ. We all know that he did. He was willing to go to the death for Jesus, right? He was willing to defend him. He was willing to stand up and be counted as a believer. He meant so well, but he failed so miserably. I understand now why Luke in chapter 22 wrote that after the rooster crowed, Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He came in eye contact with his Lord, the one he claimed to love and stand with, and yet he denied him three times. All it took was the question of a little bitty girl to melt the faith and resolve of Peter like wax. And he went out and he wept bitterly because of what he had done. He then was restored by Jesus there on that beach of Galilee. And Jesus restored him and and laid out his life for him. And Peter grew up to become one of the greatest Christian people that have ever lived because Jesus restored him from a bitter defeat to a wonderful victory. Maybe that's where you are today. You need some hope in your life. You need, a, you need some future. You need some direction. Perhaps your dreams have been crushed. Like I say all the time, we all start out young wanting to be police officers and firemen and nurses and doctors. And then life hits us and we become whatever we can to survive and to make our way in this world. Our hopes get dashed. Our dreams are crushed. Our plans fail and they are not carried out. We all mean well, but we end up being wrong. I read a story of a pastor in a church in California. And he said, you know, you can have a bad day on a good Friday. And it was Good Friday before Easter, and he went into work, and and he was grumpy, and he wasn't feeling well, and he got in there, and it was a large church, so there were several staff members there. And he said he got into an argument with one of the staff members, and it became heated, and he said some things he regretted after the argument was over. And he said he was sitting in his office just... Uh, feeling sorry for himself and having a bad day and couldn't find this and couldn't find that and people that were supposed to come hadn't showed up yet and he was getting discouraged so he started preparing his sermon for Easter morning. Imagine trying to do a sermon when you're in that type of shape. But in the middle of that preparation he remembered that there had been misplaced in the church a little simple podium similar to this and he wanted it for Sunday morning especially. And so he started looking for it in the church. And then he got the staff together and said, where's my little pulpit? And they started looking for it in the attic, in the basement, in all the classrooms, and everywhere in the church they couldn't find it. He got more and more upset, having a bad day on a good Friday. And finally he was looking in a room with one of the young new staff members, and he said to that young man, he said, if I don't find that pulpit, I'm going to resign from this church. And he said, you know what that kid did? He looked at me in the face and he said, it's been nice having you around. (laughs) Listen, we can all have bad days. And that's what the resurrection of Christ does for us. It helps us through those days, through those lonely times, through those financial difficulties, through the 
political turmoil through the joblessness that you might be experiencing. This was written in the first century, but it is ultra purposeful in the 21st century. Let's stand and read what Peter writes to us in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's stop there. Father, bless your word and bless every heart that is in this room. And Father, help us to see the value of what you've done in our life and give us the courage, Lord, to live that life that you have laid out for us. Let us see this living hope today and let us take it with us as we leave here and never let go of it. And we pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I want to talk about a few things in the text that we read this morning. I want you to realize something about these. I want you to realize who you are. Look in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens. You know, that's uh, uh, kind of harsh for him to call us aliens, but he's really not calling you an alien. He's saying you're living like an alien. And you have to understand that's exactly what Christians are in this world. We no longer belong here. This is not our home. We are commanded to live here, but it's not where we really want to be. It is not what we want to be doing. It is just where we have to dwell right now. So we are living as an alien. You are not an alien, but you're living like one. These people were scattered across the land. You and I are well are scattered across the land of America to live and light our world for Jesus Christ. So we live as aliens. This is not where we want to be, but we are commanded to live here. The Bible says we there we are born again, citizens of heaven, children of God. So realize who you are. Take some understanding in that. Your dreams might not be going where you want them to go. You might not be the person you think you're supposed to be. You're an alien living as an alien in a foreign place. You don't belong here. This is not your destination. Understand that. Be willing to accept it and move on with your life, knowing that all of your hopes and dreams in this world will not be fulfilled. You will not accomplish all the goals that you set for yourself in this life if you're a Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian, you can accomplish your goals. But if you're a Christian and a follower of Christ, be understanding you won't 
be able to fulfill your worldly desires in your life because you are living as an alien in this place. The second thing I want you to see is also in verse 1, continuing in verse 2, that you are chosen. What are you chosen to do? It says there, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit that you may obey Jesus Christ. You are chosen to obey Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what you are supposed to be doing. If you're going to fulfill this life that God has given you, it starts with you obeying Jesus Christ. And how does that happen? By the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The Spirit opens your eyes to see truth. You know, I had plans and dreams in my life. And a direction that I wanted to go for Gail and I. But God changed that. And I'm not complaining about it. I'm rejoicing in it. I have accepted it. It's the best life for me and for her. Because we surrender to the way God wants us to go. Yeah, I've got hopes and dreams still in my life that I want to try to fulfill as I get older. But I, I don't consider those as important as my relationship to my father. That's what motivates us. That's what should drive us. And so the Holy Spirit keeps that in front of us. He puts truth in front of us. He opens our eyes to it. He helps us to see it. He helps us to believe it. He helps us to live that truth. I understand that we are different. I understand that we all have a new life, a born-again life. But how does that help me today with my Burden with my problem, with my trial. How does that help me in the middle of my suffering? That's what this is really about. About living as an outcast, as an alien in a foreign land. How does that help me, Brother Clay, to know that God puts truth in front of me? How does that help me to overcome my lost dreams and my failing plans? Look at verse 3. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is he telling me to do there? He's telling me that I need to lift up my eyes above my circumstances. In the middle of all this turmoil that Peter finds himself in and to those he's writing to. Do you realize when this was written? 64 AD. Do you realize what happened six years later? These people's lives were destroyed. Jerusalem was torn down by the Romans. And these people were scattered across the land. That persecution by Nero, the emperor, had already begun. We believe that Peter was executed by Nero. We believe that Paul was executed by Nero. And so he's already begun this pushing against the Christians... Remember, when he burned Rome, he blamed the Christians for it as a scapegoat. So all of this is already taking place. These people are living in fear of their life, losing their property, losing their possessions. And here comes Peter to say, keep going. Keep moving. How do I do that, Peter? You lift up your eyes above the circumstances and you bless God. 
You look above all of that and you bless the Father. Lift your eyes and bless Him. How can I do that? Because I know that God is in charge. I know that God's in charge of the oil field. I know that God's in charge of my finances. Oh, I might try to rob him once in a while of him, but ultimately he's in charge of it. I know that God is in charge of my health. I know that God is in charge of all the family quarreling that I find in my family. I know that God is greater than that, that he's in charge. So in the middle of all of my problems, I lift my eyes above all of that and I look to him. And then I bless him. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now why do I want to bless Him in this way? Well, I want to bless Him because He is the Father of my Lord. Amen? God is not asking you to, to forget your problems. He's just telling you here that He's greater than they are. He's not asking you to pretend How many of you pretended when you walked in the door and put that church smile on your face when outside of those walls you feel like your life is falling apart? But we're not going to let anybody at church know that because we're going to pretend that everything's okay. How is it when you ask somebody, how's it going? And they stop and they begin to tell you, what do you do? You say, oh my gosh, I wish I hadn't said that, you know? That's how it is. We want people to be nice to each other and, 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 and trade pleasantries, but we don't want them to tell us about their problems. But that's what we're here for. So God's not asking you to forget that you have trouble. He's just telling you, look above them and look to the Father of your Lord. He's not asking you to pretend that you don't have any troubles. He's asking you to look above them to the Father of your Lord. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then guess this, get this, He's also your Father now. If you are a Christian, He's not only your Lord's Father, He's your Father. So you can bless Him because He's in charge. He's on the throne. He is in control. He knows what's going on. You know what? There's no other place for you to go. Let's say you don't believe in God, and you got a life full of problems. So how are you going to fix them? Well, you don't believe in God, you still got your problems. And you can try to work them out on your own, and might even get some help from a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but guess what? you still got problems, and you still got circumstances, you still got issues that you have to deal with and you have to handle. But the Christian is different. Because he believes in God and believes that God is in charge. Now he doesn't have to worry about those circumstances. He just takes them to the altar and he says, here they are, Lord. I have cried. I have sweat over them. I've shed blood over these and I can't fix it. Take care of it for me. Hebrews 13 tells us, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. You see, the Christian can give those circumstances to God while he is raising his eyes above them and blessing his Father who is in charge. 
Wow, think of it like that. If that's not hope, I don't know what hope is. That God would take care of the circumstances in my life. And however they work out, it will be to His glory because I'm going to follow Him. They may not work out like I want them to work out, but I'm going to follow Him and give Him the praise. That's what Peter's telling us to do. Put down your goals and dreams and take up God and bless Him and all will be well. Why? Because there's really nowhere else for you to go. There's no other answer for you to fix your problems other than Him. Right? You can't fix them. I can't fix them. Only He can fix them. Look what the psalmist said in Psalm 33. I'm sorry, Psalm 28. It says, Blessed be the Lord, because He has heard the sound of my pleading. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart triumphs, and with my song I shall thank Him. The Lord is my strength, and He is a refuge of salvation to His anointed. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd also and carry them forever. Isn't that what you want him to do? Have you ever said that to him? Have you ever sang that to him or prayed that to him? Write that down, Psalm 28, verse 6 and 9. And tonight, go to your bed and lay your head on the pillow and say those words to God. He is in charge. He gives us living hope. Amen? Let's go on and see what else we can find in our text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because He is our Lord's Father and He is our Father. Now, in Christ we have intimacy with God. We have that position. We have become children of God. We have not earned it. We have just been placed there by God as His child. Don't think, friend, that everyone is a child of God. No, no, no. God has created all people, but they are not children of God until they are born into God's family. Amen? So remember that and don't let somebody fool you or, or don't you try to fool somebody else saying we're all children of God. That's not the way it is. That's not what the Bible teaches. You must be born again. And when you are born again, then you have this intimacy with the Lord that the world knows nothing about. The world does not know this connection that you have. It does not experience it. It can't possess it. It wonders about it. It wonders why a Christian has a smile on their face. It wonders how you stand and endure in the most difficult of times in front of those people at work. It wonders how you take the abuse of men and women around you, the world does. It wonders how you do that while you remain faithful to God in Christ. And why you would do such a thing. It doesn't understand that. It doesn't know that. Have you ever set out I know being in Oklahoma, you've done this. You, you've gone uh, to a farm pond on a still, quiet evening. Or you've gone to the lake. Or you've been out in a tree stand when the sun comes up. And you look at creation. And you as a Christian, uh, it's the most peaceful time, is it not? 
when we sit in God's beautiful creation, and you know what happens we end up doing when we're there? We end up praising Him, don't we? We end up thinking about Him. We end up worshiping Him in the middle of that beauty. It can go out into a wheat field as far as you can see. That's the most beautiful thing to a wheat farmer. You can step out your door into the woods and you can be at peace and quiet. And as we sit there and we enjoy that, we begin to think about God. You know what the world does? They can do the same thing. They can step out into the peace and quiet, but they don't think about God. They think about the beauty of this place, the beauty of nature, the beauty of Mother Nature. That's what the world does. It gets intimate with the beauty of nature while the Christian gets intimate with the Creator. You see the difference? The world doesn't know that. It doesn't experience that. We have this hope in God that the world cannot experience and understand. Blessed be God, the Father of my Lord Jesus Christ. Why do I bless Him? Look in verse 4. I'm sorry, in verse 3. According to His great mercy has caused us to be born again. I want you to notice that word caused there. You didn't cause it. God caused it. Amen. God planned it. He created it. And He fulfilled it. This born again term we have in the Bible. His mercy is given to those who are helpless. We were like that at one time. We had no hope. We had nothing but helplessness. But praise God, because of His great mercy, He has brought us to Him through Jesus Christ. I want to show you some text in Romans chapter 11 on the screen. Three of them separated. It says, therefore, just as you once were disobedient, and then he talks about the Jew, so these also now have been disobedient, the Gentile and the Jew, disobedient, for God has shut up all in disobedience that he might show mercy to all. So God took His chosen people and they became disobedient. And then God turned to the Gentiles and we were disobedient. So all of humanity is disobedient. And that's what the idea of that verse is. God has brought us all under disobedience so that He could show us all mercy. What a great God we have. He's not playing favorites. He's not grading on the curve. He has leveled the ground at the cross. Anybody who comes to it can be saved. Jew, Gentile, or anything in between. Amen? It's not that way. We have Jesus Christ to save us. All caused by God's great mercy. Being born again to... What am I born to, it says there? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Born again. What does that mean? It means a new beginning. Why is it necessary for me to be born again? Why can't I just take what I am and step into the kingdom of God? Why do I have to be born again? You know, Jesus said to Nicodemus that night, 
in that situation, he didn't just say, be born again. He said, you must be born again. You must be born again. It's not something to take lightly. You must be born again. Many of you have heard of the great preacher Charles uh, Barnhouse, and he preached that same topic for a month in the church, and the people were getting frustrated. And they said, why do you keep preaching that topic? And he said, because you must be born again. And they said, why don't you preach something else? Because you must be born again. You must be born again. We have to get that through our heads. We don't just come into the kingdom of God at our will. You must be born again. You must be born spiritually. You must die as the person you are now. You can't have two lives at one time. You can only have one life at one time. So the flesh of you, the Adamic nature of you, must die. That's why we have to be born again. I must die to myself. And then I must be born again into the kingdom of God. It's not really difficult. It's not really hard to understand. A little child can grasp that. The older we get, the tougher we make it as adults, but it's really a simple philosophy. You must be born again. So take that and run with it. That's why. Now, I need to be born again because I was in that nature of Adam. I was rebellious against God. I I, I did not want God. I I was against God. And you say, well, not me. I've never really been against God. Well, wait a minute if you're thinking that. Matthew 12 says this, If you are not with me, you are against me. That's what Jesus said. If you are not with me, you are against me. So now, you have not always been with Jesus. Oh, well, I I got saved when I was three or four years old. But before you were three or four years old, you weren't with Jesus. Well, I got saved at six months. Well, before you were six months old, you were not with Jesus. You have not always been with Jesus. He who is not with me is against me. You must be born again. You see that? You can't just assume it. You can't just take it on yourself. You have to die and be reborn. That's more than assuming and taking Christ and putting Him in your back pocket. That's more than getting your heaven ticket stamped and put it in your wallet. You must be born again. That's what Jesus is adamant about. Now, you must acknowledge your need of Him in order to be born again. Look what it says in Acts 4, verse 12. By, that by the name of Jesus Christ, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Wow. So how do I get saved? Let's go back to the working of the Holy Spirit there in, cha- in verse 2. How am I saved? He opens my eyes to my need of a Savior. He opens my eyes to see that I am a sinner. 
He opens my eyes to see that judgment's coming to me because of my sin. He opens my eyes to see there is a just and faithful God who has provided a way for us to come to Him. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to all of that. And then we acknowledge that and we realize we are lost and undone and we come running to God to find Him. But you know what we find? That He's running to us. And we meet Him in open arms and we have a great reunion and a hug and we repent of our sin and we become children of God and we step into the kingdom of God. You must be born again. Amen? That's a great truth that we find here in 1 Peter. Now the second truth I want you to see is we are born to a living hope. Alright? This living hope is in verse 3. Uh, we are caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Regardless of my present circumstances, I can possess this inward hope that the world knows nothing about. It's a spiritual hope that I have within me. And I know this, according to verse 4, that it will not fail. And it will not fade and it will not be defiled, and it will be reserved for me in heaven. Woo! Man, look what God has done for us. He's given us these great things, and now I live in anticipation of that. No matter what I'm facing, I might run out of money in my checking account, but it doesn't matter. I can look above that checking account, and I can praise God. The God of my Father, I mean, the, the God and Father of my Lord and me, that He will carry me through these difficult circumstances. I can see that He will carry me through, and I live in anticipation and expectation of that moment. You know, before I was a Christian, I had a life full of uncertainty. Oh, yeah, I had a direction I was going, I had plans, I had dreams. But if you really think about it, they were all uncertain. They depended upon day-by-day -day activities in my life. Day-by-day -day choices that I made changed all of those plans. and changed my circumstances. But when I became a Christian, all of those went by the wayside because now I had one plan. And that was to be pleasing to my Father who gave His life for me. And so my direction changed and my plans changed. And I was no longer living in frustration, but I was living in anticipation. Right? You've heard the song by Stephen Curtis Chapman that Christianity is the great adventure. Man, it's so true. You never know what's around the corner with God. But you know you're not going to be frustrated. You're going to be expecting it and anticipating it and enjoying every moment. Look what David writes in the psalm. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From His dwelling place He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all. He who understands all their works. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him on those who hope in His loving kindness. Let Thy loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us 
according as we have hoped in thee. Amen. God wants to give you that hope this morning. He wants you to raise your eyes above the problems and circumstances. He wants you to look upon Him and bless His name. According to Peter, this life of hope is found in Jesus Christ. It is found in the security of my salvation. I don't have to wonder if I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven. That is hope. That is living hope. That is security. That is trust. That is knowing that God is faithful to His Word. I know that He's coming again. Amen? It may not be in my lifetime, but I know that He's coming again to finalize His work on this earth and redeem all those who believe in Him. The realization that one day I will be with Him. I live towards that. I'm expecting that. I'm anticipating that. That overrides everything in this world. That overrides my job. That overrides my circumstances. That overrides my problems. I know one day I'll be with Him. If that's not living hope, there is not such a thing. Amen? We know and hope of those things. We know and hope in our own resurrection. I trust that when Jesus was raised from the dead, therefore God will raise us from the dead. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, then we are of all men most to be pitied. If your hope is in this life only in Jesus Christ, then you are of all people to be pitied. My hope is beyond this life. My hope is my home. My hope is that day when I stand before Christ and He says, welcome, welcome. Enter the joy of your Father. The resurrection then is key to our hope. This living hope is key to the resurrection. The life of hope that we live with certain results. This life of hope we live, God gives us results from that in this world. Look what it says in 1 John 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Have you ever been in a place that was unfamiliar and, and you were in a crowd of people and maybe a restaurant or something and you look across the way or you hear somebody talking and you say, they got to be a Christian. Did you see what they did? Did you hear what they said? They've got to be a Christian. Anybody ever seen that before? Has anybody ever seen that in you before? Sometimes the next time that that happens to you and you see someone, I want to challenge you to do something. I want you to go up to that person and ask them, are you a Christian? And if they say yes, how did you know? I want you to say, I smelled you. <laughs> Seriously, I want you to say that and look on their face and see how they respond. And then you can say this. Because you have the fragrance of Christ on you. I knew you were a Christian because I smelled you. Because you have the fragrance of Christ on you. Amen? Do people smell you when you're out and about? 
Do they know that you have Christ? That's the living hope that John is writing to us about. He goes on to say in verse 2, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. If you've got the hope of eternal life fixed on on you, then you need to be purifying yourself because He is pure. Amen? Neglect the sin in your life. Turn away from it. Strip it off of you. The resurrection, the born again life, the second coming, this affects the life of every believer and it produces results for God in this world in your life. Right now, this hope includes the inheritance that is awaiting us in verse 4, and it includes the protection of God that is given to us in verse 5. Can you imagine God being your bodyguard? Oh my gosh, can you imagine what that would be like? It is like that. God protects us, He is the bodyguard. You say, Well, what about the Christians that were killed? What is so bad about going home? What is, bad? what is so bad about losing your life in this world to go home? You need to refocus the way you look at death, Christian. Dying is not the worst thing that can happen. Amen? We go home. Oh yes, we might leave people behind, but you know what? God's protecting them as well. And God rescues and saves and carries if they are faithful and you have helped them to lift their eyes above the world. Understand that we have a living hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is in you. Christ is in you. God and the Holy Spirit is guiding you and God is protecting you. What more could a person ask for? for God to do than we find in those first five verses. God gives us hope. He gives us an inheritance and He's protecting us all the way home. Wow, what a beautiful Lord we have. Maybe today you need to change the way you're looking at circumstances in your life. I told you, a believer can see Nature and worship the creator of it, while the world looks at creation and worships the beauty of it. A, a, a lost person cannot look above their circumstances, but you can. And I challenge you today to do just that and realize he's in charge of those and he's doing something with those in your life to bring him honor and glory. So the faster you do that, the faster the circumstances change. Amen? The faster you bring God honor and glory through those trials and troubles, the faster they go away. I'll bet you never thought of it like that. Do it. They're all for the glory of God. I challenge you today to do that. Tonight we're going to continue on there in verse 6 and following. See what else Peter has for us. I'm encouraged by a man who denied my Lord and went out and wept so bitterly. And then my Lord restored this man. 
And this man was able to share these things with us because Peter lived it. Amen? He lived that. And so I can trust it. He's an eyewitness. I believe and I know that God wrote through Peter to me and to you. Look above where God is seated at home. Let's pray. Father, bless this moment in our church as we gather and Lord, as we are about to go. I pray that your Holy Spirit move in this place and help someone suffering from loneliness, depression, anxiety, finances, health reasons, whatever they might be, let them find you right now, Lord. And Father, give them that hope that they're looking for. Let them bring their problems to this altar and lay them down at your feet. Not to pick them up and go, but to leave them there. And Father, you give them what they're looking for. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.